Amen. Praise the Lord. And again in John chapter number 19, or excuse me, chapter number 20, beginning in verse number 19. And as we look here this morning, what is taking place is that Jesus has resurrected. He has been with his men. They have walked with him for the last three and a half years. And uh, they were with him in the garden when he was taken. Uh, as he was taken, uh, they ran. Some of them followed close, some of them followed far away. Uh, their faith, certainly, I think it's fair to say, was shaken uh, over the course of the events of these days. Uh, and before we get too critical of their shaken faith, um, imagine being them. Imagine being and walking in their shoes. And how uh, could you go through what they've been through and not fully understood the things that Jesus taught them as of yet and not uh, be put into a frame of mind to where you think, is this real? Is this true? Is he whom he said he was? And then uh, to find out three days later that he's risen from the grave. And just the verses preceding, he uh, tells the, the, them not to get too close. Mary, I've not yet ascended to my father. Uh, and so then uh, she, he departs and he ascends apparently to the father uh, because he comes back. And the Bible makes it very clear here that it's the same day at evening. <clears throat> and so they go to the tomb early in the morning and they see a resurrected Savior who is not yet ascended and he ascends during the course of the day and spends time with the Father in heaven in the evening he comes back to them. And so the doors are shut and the disciples there are assembled. They are still fearing and fearful of the Jews. The Jews now, uh, though they may for the last three days have been kind of put at ease because finally their menace uh, has been in a grave, now word begins to spread that he is resurrected and uh, and the hornet's nest kind of stirred back up again. And, uh, and they begin to uh, grapple with what's going on in the outside world here. So Jesus comes and he stands in the midst of them. Uh, and it's interesting that he says to them, peace be unto you. Uh, now understand that it's a, it's a common greeting in their culture and in their time. Uh, but imagine being in a place of such turmoil with all that's raging around them in the world and their faith being shaken because of circumstance and, uh, and knowing that if they set foot out that they're likely to be recognized as one of his followers by at least somebody that's there. And uh, Jesus shows up and the first thing that he says to them in the midst of this tumult is, peace be unto you. Peace. You know, the thing that we find in life that we long most for is peace. And sometimes we like activity. Sometimes we, uh, we like to be on the go and we like to get out and do things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when we come home, what is it that we really want? We want some peace. We want, uh, we want to rest. We want to uh, recover. I drove uh, Sonia and I a little over 800 miles on Friday. We left uh, East Tennessee at about at about 5:30 in the morning our time, and we got home just 
just before seven, and uh, and I and it's you know driving from Chattanooga down to Birmingham is not bad. You set your cruise control; it's fairly relaxing. The scenery still. Uh, pretty breathtaking at times and then uh, you get a little bit of a kerfuffle in Birmingham and you make your way around that mess and get through Tuscaloosa and get where 59 separates again from Interstate 20 and drive south through Mississippi and that's generally pretty peaceful and then Louisiana happens uh, and so I don't know anything about Louisiana uh, that except for Brother Terry and Miss Didi, that's pleasant, uh, though I would not call them at times, most of the time, peaceful. Uh, have a conversation with Brother Terry. Turn your ears in real good so you can understand. Uh, if you can slow him down, if you can ever find that knob to slow down his speech, uh, then, then that's a good knob. And so, uh, but you get to Louisiana and, and you come on down 59, it's not too bad still, and then you get on Interstate 12. And from 12, all the way to exit 798, which is our exit home, there is not anything that in any way even remotely could be referred to as peaceful. Uh, the traffic is heavy. The traffic is crazy. Uh, you are driving 80 plus if you don't want to get run over uh, and hoping that you're not the one that the police single out to stop. Uh, and so you just try to survive. Uh, it's not peaceful. When I got home, uh, I walked in and uh, we're, we stopped and got a bite in Mont Bellevue just to take into the house and eat it there. We didn't even want to get out and eat. We just wanted to get in the house. And we're driving down 146 and we look over to the left and Sonia says, there's three ladies walking down the road. And she's thinking, that, wait, that looks like Miss Rebecca. Uh, and I'm thinking, I wonder if she needs help. I got food and it's hot. I have a truck full of stuff. I have nowhere really to put them if they need help. Uh, and I'm looking and, and Sonia's thinking, no, I think they're just walking. And we look, we're looking for a broke down car. There's no broke down car. So I go on home and I'm feeling guilty. I mean, all the way up until this morning, I feel guilty. I'm just thinking, man, what if she really needed help? And here I am, her, her, her horrible pastor didn't even turn around and go back. And uh, after 800 miles, I was more concerned about my hot food than I was about her sore feet. Uh, and so uh, I said, Sonia said, no, I think they were just out for a walk. And so I saw her. Sure enough, they were just out for a walk. From Devonwood, if you know 146, they moved into a house in Devonwood, and uh, and 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 she just kind of stubbornly decided that she would die before she called Julio and said, "I need a ride." Uh, and he she set out. He said, "Okay, when you get tired of walking, I don't think it's a very good idea. Uh, but if you get tired of walking, then uh, you just call me and I'll come and I'll I'll get you the rest of the way there." Uh, and there you have to understand the life and the. I have some inside insight into this. Uh, being married to a Puerto Rican woman for 30 years, they're from the Dominican Republic, and, uh, and the islands are only separated by about a, a mud puddle, uh, and so they think a lot alike. And I'm just telling you, when they're determined and they set out to get there, they will die before they call for help. And so she stepped on a screw and she walked into Walmart on a screw. Uh, and so I said this morning, were you okay? Uh, and so, and she's like, oh yeah, we made it. We made it. And said, but they got to ride home. Praise the Lord. Uh, and so, but I'm saying, she said, this is what she said. She said, pastor, she said, there's no walkway. There's no good way to cross some of those busy roads. 
We walked through bushes. We got chased by dogs. We stepped on a snake. I'm adding a little bit there. Uh, and so, but the message of essence of what she was saying to me is, Pat, it was not a peaceful walk. I want some peace. Uh, and so we're all looking for uh, peace. I'm glad she made it safe. I'm glad uh, that I can give her a hard time about it. And she laughed. So she wasn't laughing on Friday, but she's laughing now. Uh, and so, but peace. And I'm just saying this morning, we long in our hearts for peace. We long in our hearts to know that, that when everything raging around us is falling apart, that inside there's peace. And in this room, Jesus is uh, coming into a place where there is great tumult outside and where there is no peace inside. You ever been there? Where you're in the place where there should be peace, but there's not any. You're in a place where even if the people with whom you are residing are in a peaceful frame of mind or a peaceful state, there's still no peace. Because in the heart, the concern and the worry of life and of the day and of the troubles that we face is still raging around us. It's still going on about us. And it doesn't matter how quiet things get. It doesn't matter how, uh, how kind and compassionate and supportive uh, those that we're with are, they're still in the heart, no peace. Jesus enters the room and says, peace be unto you. You know, there's just something about that that I think that we casually read and miss. If one of the other disciples had been out for a while and had come into the room and almost certainly said, because it was a common greeting, peace be unto you. It wasn't noteworthy in the scripture. Thomas is going to come and almost certainly he would have greeted everyone when he arrived, peace be unto you. But it's not noteworthy. But when Jesus enters the picture and says, peace be unto you, it's worthy of being recorded in the scripture. There is a peace that only Christ can give. There is a peace that cannot be found in entertainment. There is a peace that cannot be found in separating from the business of life uh, by vacation. There is a peace that cannot be found in our human relationships. There is a peace that cannot be found certainly within uh, the, the confines of religion. Religion never brought anyone an ounce of peace. If anything, religion causes more uh, disturbance and stress and problem. But Jesus brings peace. Jesus enters the room and says, Peace be unto you. And Thomas still not there. And Jesus ministers to them and then he leaves. <coughs> For eight days they are, they are there in the room and they are still held up. Now I'm thinking... You know, Jesus just came and said, the peace, and uh, I, I can go about my business. He gave me a job to do. He's trained us for three years to get out and to reach people and to make a difference. But the crowd that crucified Jesus is still in proximity. And even though Jesus comes and says, peace to you, and 
breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. So clearly the Holy, the Holy Spirit still is not yet given in the sense of ministry that we have now. That begins in Acts chapter 2. He gives them at least some hope that's beyond just words, but it's a connection with what's to come uh, that, hey, that, you know, this is not going to be forever, but yet still for eight days they're in the room. Thomas comes and enters the room in verse number 24. And uh, as he comes in, the other disciples say, to tell him, hey, uh, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. So <coughs> Thomas has been gone now for some time. It's not as if Thomas has been there and was just out whenever Jesus came before and stepped out to make a purchase or to uh, to take care of some business. No, uh, he apparently has not been there this entire time. So the entire time of Jesus' resurrection up until this point, seven days, they've not seen Thomas. Thomas has not been there. He now comes, and the first thing that they tell him is the first thing that we probably would tell him to do. Hey, we saw Jesus. He lives. No doubt Thomas had heard that Jesus was alive, or he probably would not have come back into the room, though I'm speculating a bit there. And he says, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas looks and says to them, listen, uh, you, you can tell me all that you want to tell me, but until I see him and until I touch him, until I feel the wounds myself, I will not believe. You know, this is a man who walked with Jesus for three years, a man who was acquainted with him, a man who had him meet his needs, a man uh, who uh, felt his loving touch, who saw his compassion on display, who witnessed the performance of miracles, and yet his faith is not coming easily. His faith is struggling. Have you ever been in a place where you just feel like my faith is struggling and you feel bad because your faith is struggling? It's like, I, I, Lord, I want to believe, but help thou mine unbelief. And you're, you're trying to get there and you're trying to find the way and, uh, and you're, you're trying to, uh, to connect with the Lord. And it just seems like the harder you try, uh, the, the more difficult it becomes. I think that we could say that when we get into that frame of life, that we're in pretty good company because here's Thomas who personally walked with Jesus, who, who saw personally the miracles that he performed, that heard him preach, that heard him and was with him when he prayed, that experienced him in a very real way, who also is saying, unless I see and touch, I will not believe. And sometimes knowing intellectually and coming to a place spiritually where we make all of the connections and where all of the life ties together is not an easy journey to make. For some, it seems simple. For some, it seems as if they come and they hear the gospel presented maybe one time and the Holy Spirit's already been working outwardly in their life in, in uh, different ways, maybe without them realizing it and events and orchestrating things in their life to where it's just easy. They come and they're, uh, they're prepared and they're ready and their heart's willing and, and it just comes easy to them. And yet others seem to struggle for a long time. Some will come and it may take months or at times even years for them to come to Christ. But he comes here and they say, we have seen the Lord. And he said unto them, 
uh, except I see the hands and the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Jesus knows he's not present in the room when Thomas speaks those words, but there's no evidence that anybody feel, fills him in whenever he arrives either. He enters the room. The door is closed. Imagine here you are and you're in this room and this the few of you and uh, probably fairly cramped quarters and all of a sudden with the door closed, Jesus appears in the middle of the room. Again, peace be unto you. I think I'd need some peace. You know, if I'm in a room uh, and all of a sudden Jesus just materializes like he was beamed down from the Starship Enterprise and he's there in the room, uh, I, I, I could see where they've got, whoa, a spirit, but he was more than a spirit. He was Jesus. It was the same Jesus that they walked through, the same Jesus that had uh, the body and they could see <clears throat> the wounds and they could uh, hear the tenderness in his voice and the compassion in his voice and uh, after eight days his disciples were within in verse 26 and Thomas with them then came Jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace be unto you then saith he to Thomas imagine being Thomas in that room here's the room Jesus pops in literally Peace be unto you, makes eye contact with Thomas. Well, if I'm Thomas at that moment, I think I'm feeling pretty scared. I think I'm probably feeling pretty ashamed. I think I'm feeling a lot of things, but I don't know that peace is what I'm feeling. And eye contact with the Savior and Jesus says, here are my hands. And Jesus says, here is my side. Come here, Thomas. Put your hand right here. I'm real. I know your troubles and your problems are real. I know your doubt and confusion is real. But I'm real. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing and am demonstrating to you exactly what I have taught you, what I have proclaimed to you, what I have demonstrated to you for the last three and a half years. I am God. Thomas, seeing him, doesn't have to touch now. He simply collapses and says, my Lord and my God. You know what Thomas found in that moment? Peace. For the first time since the garden, Thomas had a heart that could rest. His problems were still there. His burden was still heavy. Life was still not easy, but for the first time since the garden, he was in fellowship and he was connected with his Savior. You know, peace can never come until Jesus comes. Joy can never happen until Jesus brings it. 
The faith that we have in Christ is not a faith that resolves our problems or takes them away, makes them magically disappear. The faith that we have in Christ is a faith that simply allows us to engage life with all of its joy, with all of its heartache, with all of its sadness, with all uh, of its its turmoil. Uh, and yet in the midst of all of the storm, there is one who stands behind us and says, no matter how bad things seem out here, I am with you. You're with me. It will be okay. But pastor, what if he chooses to allow that disease to take me home? What if he allows that tragedy to strike that ends my life on this earth? All that means is that you have fulfilled the purpose that God created you to. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, now you are ushered into his presence to live in peace eternally. No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more, uh, no more being hungry, no more wondering if their next bill can be paid. It's all cared for. Now, there are some things that I think that we see in the life of Thomas here <clears throat> and these men in this room, because I don't really believe that all of these things are isolated strictly to Thomas, though clearly the doubting was more heavy on him uh, than others. But uh, consider just four observations tonight. I would say, or this morning, I would say first, <coughs> consider that uh, that he was lost. And make it personal. I was lost. They say, well, pastor, you saying that Thomas did not know that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was uh, his Lord and Savior? Now, I'm not saying that I believe that Thomas was lost in the sense of his salvation, but there is more ways to be lost than simply salvation. Now let me elaborate on that just a moment this morning because <clears throat> a lot of times we come together in church and we use a lot of church lingo, lingo that people that have been in church a long time and we just assume that everybody understands what we're talking about. And so when we talk about being lost, there's a couple of different applications here. It's a primary word that, uh, that the Bible often uses and that Christians use and pastors use a lot in, uh, in preaching to describe those who simply have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, and the reason that we use the term and the Bible uses the term lost is because they have not found Christ. And so they are without. It is not about uh, it is not about whether they're good or whether they're bad. It's not saying that everyone that doesn't have Christ is a bad person. Uh, all of us are sinners, whether we know Jesus is our Savior or not. Uh, what he's saying is, is that I'm simply outside of a relationship with Christ. And in that sense, I have not found God. So I am lost to the truth of relationship with God. Now, I don't believe that Thomas is is in that position here. I do believe that on any given Sunday that we have people that attend our services uh, that are lost in that sense. It's not, again, saying that that, that person is uh, bad or that that person is uh, corrupt or that person is anything in a negative sense outside of the fact that all of us without Christ are lost sinners. Uh, what he is saying is that it's a position that positionally, a lost person is not a child of God. They are a creation of God, but they are not a child of God. They have not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus 
And that because of that fact, they have not found salvation. They have not had the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, regenerate them and make them alive again or to be born again uh, would be the familiar term that we would use societally. Uh, and so uh, we're not talking about that. I would say to you this morning before we move on that if you're here and you do not know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and say, Pastor, that is my position. I'm searching. I'm looking. I'm trying to find truth, but I do not know with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I do not know, <coughs> excuse me, with absolute certainty that if I died right now, that I would go to heaven and be in the presence of God, then you, my friend, positionally are lost. And you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. Uh, and when you make that decision and repent of your sin, then Jesus and the Holy Spirit do a miraculous work in your life. And you are born again into the family of God. And you are positionally changed from being someone who is a stranger to God to someone who is being a born family member of God. Uh, that's salvation. And so that's not the, the, the position here of Thomas. The position here of Thomas, I really believe, is the same position as all of the others that are in the room. They're lost in the sense of, I don't know what to do next. So, Pastor, how could they not know what to do next? Jesus just told them, even, so, uh, even as the Father sent me, so send I you. Uh, and he just gave them a little endowment of the Holy Spirit. And he just, but, you know put it all together, and he's telling them, you wait until the Spirit comes. <clears throat> he's going to spend uh, another several weeks with them off and on, teaching them and reassuring them. And the others that seem to have it all together really don't because in the first few verses of the next chapter, they half of them quit with Peter and go back to their secular job, even though Jesus just met with them in the room and said, here are the wounds and here is my side and then this is what you're going to do. And they're all struggling with this. This is not isolated to Thomas. They all may, they may wrap the package and hide things better outwardly, but inwardly they're going through the same struggle. And the struggle is I am lost. And I wonder this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us would have to say that we faced moments in our life, times in our life, maybe even on a regular basis in which in our walk with Christ, in our spiritual life, we feel disconnected from God. And though we know we're saved, we know that we're a child of God. We know that we have eternal life. We cannot say that my life has purpose and my life has direction. And I am doing intentionally what God has called me to do what God's plan for my life is uh, that I have found and that I've got all that figured out and I'm busy and actively engaged in doing the will of God for my life. We would have to honestly say, Pastor, I'm searching for the will of God for my life. I'm searching to find purpose and direction. I'm searching to feel connected to my Savior. I am in a place spiritually where I'm struggling. And my friends, if that's your case this morning, you are just like Thomas and just like the other apostles and disciples here, and you would have to say, I'm lost. I don't know, God, what you want me to do. I don't know, God, when you want me to begin. I don't feel connected. I don't feel uh, like I belong. I don't feel like my relationships have come together uh, the way that I would want. <coughs> and I would say to you this morning, 
If you're someone that knows that you're saved and you know that you're a child of God and you've been uh, and you come to uh, a church and, and it's not always easy to make relationships and to find people that you just kind of uh, that you just kind of naturally click with and that you uh, that you come together and enjoy fellowship with consider perhaps this morning that the will of God is for you to be here and for you to be the one that people that have the same interests as you the same likes as you the same personality type as you that have not been reached yet with the gospel that God is planting you here so that when they come there's someone that they can connect with and if you're lost this morning Spiritually, if you're lost this morning, relationally with Christ, may I say to you that Thomas and the disciples are in the same boat. Don't feel too bad. Don't be too hard on yourself. It's not that you're not a good Christian. It's not that you're not sincere in your desire to serve him. It's not that the answer is not readily available But it's natural for us to go through life and at times question what's going on in our heart and what we understand and am I on track for God and these men, hey listen, after walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus for three and a half years and witnessing the crucifixion and seeing him in a resurrected state and having him mysteriously appear out of thin air in the room could still, after all of that, say, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to work. I'm leaving the ministry. How much more natural is this for us who cannot see him physically but can experience him every bit as much as they did internally? How how natural it is for us at times to say, God, spiritually, I'm lost. Spiritually, I'm struggling. Spiritually, I'm trying to find my footing. God, would you speak to me? God, would you reach out to me? Uh, and, and Thomas is in that room. Uh, and as he comes in that room, Jesus comes in. And it states there, then came Jesus. There's a room full of Christians who have lost their way, who are discouraged, who are afraid, who are trying to figure things out. What is the solution? Then came Jesus. I think that it's fair to say, first of all, this morning, considering that I was lost, that spiritually, if I am a person who does not know Jesus as my Savior, I lacked position. And then came Jesus. You can get the picture here. I was lost and he found me. I was lost and he searched for me. I was lost and he came where I was. I would say this morning, if you're keeping and following the outline letter A, that the purpose for his life was gone. Here's a man who knows the Lord. Here's a man that's, again, that's walked with him, that's served him. But Jesus has died and been in a grave. He's not believing the reports of the resurrection as of yet. I think it's fair to say that this is a man who had lost his purpose. And even the others, given the evidence of what takes place in the first few verses of the next chapter and their return to their secular work, when clearly that's not the will of God, that it's clear to say that it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not too much of a stretch to look into that and to see that these are men who lost their way. They lost their focus. They lost their purpose in life. 
I wonder this morning how many Christians fail (coughs) because they've lost purpose in their life. Direction is gone. It seems as if everything's just contorted. I think that it'd be easy to say and let her be that his position seemed destroyed. His position seemed destroyed. Here he is, a disciple. And Jesus is dead. What is there for me to do now? What what else could I do? What else could I be a part of? I've been a part of this for three years, but now what? I've been a part of this thing that I thought was going to change the world, this thing that I thought was going to fulfill the scripture, this thing that I thought, and you get what I'm saying here, it is going to change the world and it has fulfilled the scripture. They just can't put it together yet. So many times what God is doing in our life, when we reach a place in time where we feel as if uh, we are out of control or that we are lost direction or that we've lost purpose and we're all confused, does not mean that because we are disconnected that God is not working. It does not mean that we are unloved. It does not mean that God doesn't have a plan. Uh, It does not mean that when I look at something and say, hey, I've been a part of this, Pastor. I've been a part of the outreach, and I've been a part of this ministry, and I've been a part of that, and I just can't see that God's doing anything. Well, maybe we just haven't put the connections together yet. Just be faithful and let God be God. Just be true to what God has put in our heart and what he's trained us to do and let God be God. But his position seemed destroyed. I mean, I think all of them, if they're here and you're, and you're going through what they're going through, uh, for those days before the resurrection, they would say, man, we just, we got to figure out what we're going to do next because what we've given our lives completely to for the last three years is gone. It's, it's, it's evaporated. So it would seem. But in reality, it was just getting started. In reality, it was just beginning to get on track to change the world. I think that if I look at this this morning, I could say that at one point in my life, positionally, I was lost. I did not know Jesus as my Savior. I had not put my faith and trust in Him, and Jesus found me. I can say this morning... That as Thomas is experiencing here, that though there have been times in my life that my salvation has not been in question, but God's purpose and direction for my life at times has been, that Jesus came. Just stay in the room. Sometimes we leave the room just before Jesus arrives. Sometimes we give up and we go away and we just return to the world before Jesus comes. Listen this morning, if you would say with Thomas that I am lost, may I say to you that Jesus will find you. He knows right where you are. He knows where to go. Secondly, this morning, consider that these men were lonely. I was lost and I would think he would have to say I'm lonely. So, Pastor, how could they be lonely? They're in a room full of people. Oh, it's, I guess if you're the right personality type, it's easy to under, easier to understand. But it's not, it's not hard for me to think 
and to understand being lonely in a room full of people. These men are all together, but there's no peace inside. Are they conversant with one another? I'm, I'm sure that they are. They're taking meals together in all likelihood. They're co- contemplating their futures together, but yet there's an emptiness. And when we talk about loneliness here, what's really what I'm talking about is this void, this emptiness in life, this lacking of purpose. See, up until the previous week, their lives had purpose. When they were up in the upper room, their life had purpose. When they went to the garden, their life had purpose. But when they left the garden, their life, their purpose was on a destructive course. By the next day, their life and their purpose of life was all but gone and in a grave. I would say this morning, letter A here, that there was no fulfillment in life, just emptiness. That in this room with these men, they are not feeling fulfilled and feeling as if they are accomplishing great things for God. That they feel as if there is no, that they are, they are feeling unfulfilled and they are feeling empty. In other words, that what they've got in here has no value, it has no purpose, it has no merit. What am I going to live for now? I would say this and let her be here that even his relationship seemed hollow. Thomas, above all of them, because for eight days he's been gone. The rest of them came together, but he stayed away. Maybe he's questioning, and I'm speculating a little here, but are these relationships relationships that I'm going to maintain? Are these men that I've been with for these years, though we may have connections throughout life, or are they going to be are they going to be close? There's an emptiness. And all my point is just simply this this morning is that when I'm disconnected from my Savior, there is a void and an emptiness in my life because it has no purpose or direction. That's a lonely place, my friends. It is, and it doesn't matter how big of a crowd you're in, you're lonely. It doesn't matter if you're the life of the party when you enter the room. There's loneliness in your heart. See, we can put on a lot of things on the outside, but we're not talking about the outside this morning. We're talking about the depths of the heart. We're talking about men whose lives have been shaken to their core, whose very purpose in life has been shaken. And these are men at this point who know what Jesus has said to do, but Jesus is not and no longer a part of their everyday life. And so there's a void there. There's an emptiness. What happened? Then came Jesus. Here I am, questioning, feeling as if everything in my heart has been poured out even ripped out. My life has no purpose. And then comes Jesus and fulfills me. See, fulfillment for a purpose in life comes from the Savior. Fulfillment and knowing that what you do and what your life is engaged in matters is from Jesus. 
purpose, direction, empowerment, all of that comes from a Savior supernaturally. It's not something that you can go to the store and pick up off the shelf and take the can home and open it up and cook it up and serve it up. Listen, that's not what preaching is. And I've been a lot of places where they kind of have that idea. Hey, if you need a good dose of salvation or you need a good dose of the power of God or you need a good dose of prayer or you need a good dose of that, just go to the uh, just go to the spiritual store and get the can of that, cook it up a little bit in the study and uh, come out and just serve it up in the, in the meal. And, and clearly... The Word of God is the bread of life. Not saying that it's not. What I'm saying is, is that the moving of God in your heart and in your life and in my heart and in my life is not something that I can just flip a switch or open a can and at my choosing pour out. But I can stay in the room and I can stay hungry for God and I can stay searching for the Savior until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, He fills the void. When Jesus comes, He gives direction. When Jesus comes, He gives meaning and purpose to life and direction to heart. And it gives me a sense of fulfillment in my my life. Listen, there is not a greater joy in life than to believe in your heart and to know in your heart that you're engaged in fellowship with Jesus and you're doing what he's purposed your life to do and you are doing so to please and to honor and to express your love to him and he's a part of everywhere you go and everything you do and every relationship that you have and you are no longer lonely even if you walk alone because you never walk alone when you walk with Jesus. They were lost, lacking position. They were lonely, lacking purpose. <clears throat> Consider thirdly that they were languishing. I was languishing. I would say here what I mean is that they're lacking peace. Why? Because they're feeling guilty. How could they not? How could, <clears throat> how could I be... <laughs> Someone that walked with Jesus for those years, who at the moment of his arrest fled, and at the moment of his trials and persecution stood on the fringes of the crowd, and witnessed the crucifixion, and saw him go into a grave, how could I see and be a part of all of that and not feel guilty? So, Pastor, but they, weren't, they didn't beat him, they weren't responsible. No, but they did not stand with him. They did not do what they, that what they stated, especially Peter, in their heart that they intended to do when it all came down. And that's just a hard fact of life. And the reality is, is that we all know in our heart and mind what we think we will do if certain things unfold. We never really truly know what our response is going to be and how we're going to react until it actually happens. Oh, pastor, if somebody breaks in my house, I'm going to shoot them dead. I think I would do that too. But until someone does and I have to do it, I really don't know. Oh, I know me, I know me. You know, Peter thought he knew himself too when he told Jesus in front of everybody that no matter what, I'm not going to forsake you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Imagine what the rest of them are thinking in their heart. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick with them. 
And how many times in our life have we started to do something for God and believe that God was working in our heart and leading us and we failed? And we did not see it through? Or we gave up? Or our faith was shaken and we just quit for a while? And we found ourselves on the sidelines, maybe not even in church or reading our Bible or engaging in a relationship with Jesus in any way? You know what that brings? If you really know Jesus is your Savior, it brings incredible, heavy guilt. I tell you, I mean, from all Friday night, I'm thinking in my mind, I should have turned around and helped Miss Rebecca. I should have made Sonia text her and make sure. I know she thought she was just out for a walk, but I should have had her check yesterday. Taking care of some things around the house. Yesterday was Brother David's birthday, so we went over to their house for a couple of hours and had some cake and uh, pinned the tail on a llama uh, and, uh, uh, and just... Uh, had some time together there. And I'm thinking the whole time in the back of my mind, I should have checked on Miss Rebecca. I'm feeling guilty. I finally felt this better this morning. <laughs> and this is this is really sad. You know, Don, what made me feel better? Hearing that she did it to herself on purpose. <laughs> and, and hearing about all of the suffering and the pain that she was exposed to, it, it made me happy inside. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it made me happy inside to know that she planned it and that I didn't fail her by going back. I felt guilty. And I'm just telling you this morning, when we know that what God has put in our heart, what God has instructed us to do, what God has, uh, what God has laid before us, when we know those things and we know that we have failed, we know that we didn't leave that track or we didn't engage in that conversation or we didn't take that time to pray or we didn't uh, spend that time in study or we didn't reach out to that person that needed our, needed our help or we didn't go that extra mile. When we get to a place where we're locked in a room and the weight of the world is coming down upon us what we feel is guilt that Jesus you're my savior and my God and I failed you here's Thomas here are the others lost no purpose no direction lonely We're all here, but we're disconnected, languishing, lacking peace because you can't be at peace when your heart is wrought with guilt. Why the guilt? Well, first, he had abandoned his Savior. Have you ever abandoned Jesus this morning? Can you look in your heart and say that from the moment that Jesus saved your soul to this that you've never forsaken him, that you've never failed to do what he's given you in your life to do. He had abandoned his Savior. There was no peace because of his failure. He was languishing. Lastly, this morning, I would say he was longing. He was longing. Longing for what, Pastor? He lacked personal fellowship with Jesus. What he had up until the moment of his arrest was fellowship. 
What he had was Jesus who was in charge and was in control. And no matter what was going on, he never really had to worry much about what was taking place because he knew and he believed that Jesus was in control. But he appeared to lose control when he was arrested. He didn't lose control. It was part of God's plan. It was all orchestrated. They could not have beaten him if he had not allowed it. He could, they could not have nailed him to the cross had it not been the will of God. They could not have shed his blood unless he was willing to be the sacrificial lamb on that Passover day. All of it was done not because he was out of control, but because he was in control. But control appeared to be lost. Here was a man longing, a man who perhaps could not face the others because of the guilt of his failure. A man who was looking for the fellowship that he had lost on that separation in the Garden of Gethsemane. A man carrying that load and carrying that burden, carrying that guilt. And here he comes and he's longing to restore relationship. And listen, friend, if you're a person who has drifted away from God, who is not serving God faithfully, who maybe you've got all of the outer trappings of your life uh, seem to be okay and all the ducks, to the casual observer seem to be in a row. But you know in your heart that you are not walking with God as you once did and as God desires you to walk. Then you cannot feel anything in your heart other than the burden and the weight of the guilt and a longing in your heart to have the guilt put away, to have the fellowship with Jesus restored, to be forgiven and to be resurrected with with Christ so that you can live the life that he gave you to live so that you can make the impact that he wants you to make so that your life can be changed and that God can use your life to change others what is he longing for what is he looking for and there are people that come to churches like this all the time who know that they're not right with God who know that they're not close with God and why do they come they come because they're hoping to hear the Savior's voice they come because they're hoping that, that, res- that, that something will resonate, that a song, that the worship, that the moving of the Spirit of God will not pass them over, but will fall upon them fresh and new and draw them back to Him. What they're hoping for is to come into a room where they know that God will be present, where the Word of God will be preached, and to hope and to pray that Jesus will show up to them. What they're looking for is to hear Jesus come into the room of their heart and to say, peace be with you. What they're looking for is to hear the Savior's voice and secondly, to feel the Savior's touch so that their sin can be forgiven, so that their fellowship can be restored so that their life can be empowered. Because when that happens, they once again find position, a place to belong. And they once again find purpose, a reason to exist. And they once again find peace, the knowledge of knowing that I am fulfilled in doing what God has given me to do. And a place to find fellowship. Not just with other believers, but with my Savior. I had a man in our church in Arkansas. I'd been 
had grown up there. His grandparents, and I want to think even maybe his great-grandparents had been there. And he had lived wild, got married to a girl in the church. They divorced. They married other people, had children. They divorced. And years later, they came back together. When he heard there was a new pastor, he popped in every once in a while. They'd go to church here and there. He came in, and there was just two sections in the auditorium there. He sat back over about where Brother Larry and Miss Cindy are sitting, I think on that corner on the very last row. God began to work in his heart. God changed his life. You know, 16, 17 years later, they're still faithfully serving the Lord in church. I heard someone that got upset that was really close to him at one point say, I'm leaving, and are you leaving? He said, you know what? He said, God spoke to me right there. And he said, you do what you want to. But I'm staying right where God spoke to my heart. They just recently relocated, just in the last month, to a good church, with a good pastor, serving the Lord. Their geography changed. But their relationship and their purpose and their peace and their ministry and their relationship with Christ hasn't changed a bit. It just goes forward. My friends, that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants us to come to a place where we feel the pressure, we feel the guilt, we feel all of those things because when we do, we begin to search. Here's Thomas. Brother Deck, he's for eight days out roaming. We don't know where he's at. We don't know where he went. We don't know what he did. Jesus has already showed up to the others and he missed it. But something brought him back. My friends, this morning, maybe you're in a place where you don't know exactly all the answers, but something has pulled you back. Then came Jesus. Searching for you. And when he enters the room, Brother Wayne, peace be unto you. Now, I can walk into the room all day long, Brother Harold, and say, peace be unto you. And it's not anything more than a greeting. But when Jesus walks in, Brother JP, and looks at you in distress, in turmoil, languishing, longing, lost, and says, peace be unto you. It's more than a greeting. It is Jesus entering not just a room, but your life and changing it forever. Would you this morning acknowledge in your heart, honestly, each of these areas? Holy Spirit, show me.
Holy Spirit, evaluate me. Are you lost here this morning in the sense of you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? You can leave today a part of God's family. But are you lost this morning? Feeling as if your life has no purpose and you just don't know what to do anymore? Are you lonely this morning, feeling empty inside and feeling as if your life has no purpose? Are you languishing this morning? Do you feel overwrought with guilt because your relationship with Christ isn't what you know He desires for it to be? Are you longing this morning for personal fellowship with Jesus? Then I would say to you this morning, that if any of those things apply to you, that if you'll just get into that room, get in a place at an altar, get to a place where I'm willing to look up and say, Lord, lost, longing, languishing, but I'm here. Come back into the room. Thomas came back to the room and then came Jesus. And he'll come to you too. Father, thank you this morning for our time together. Lord, thank you that you've not left us alone and drifting and wandering. Thank you that you've not forsaken us and failed us even when we have forsaken and failed you. Lord, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts and that you would bring convicting power upon us. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you and that you would help us to be brought into that sweet fellowship with you that brings the peace that we so desperately seek and long for in our life. Lord, assuage the guilt. Lord, give us purpose and direction. Lord, help us enter into your sweet fellowship that our lives might become all that you intend for them to be. If we'll let you work, Lord, we know that you'll come in. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.